From the headquarters of Ramsey Solutions, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where I take calls from leaders like you about what it takes to win at any stage of business and leadership. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host, with over 30 years of experience leading in the trenches right alongside you. I've done my work as a leader today before I sat down at this microphone. So we are practitioners around here. This is not theory to us. We uh, understand leaving the cave, kill something and drag it home. If you've got a question about leadership and you'd like to be a part of this program, give me a call at 844-944-1070. Our team will work that out. If you leave a voicemail, we'll try to figure out a way to get you on here. 844-944-1070. EntreeLeadership.com slash ask if you want to fill out the form and tell us. And uh, the gang will get with you on that as well. Now, coming up in the next segment, my friend Vic Keller is going to be with us. Vic is a uh, serial entrepreneur, speaker, business coach. He has started many, many companies, sold uh, several of them to Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway, so something I've not done. I like to get to talk to guys like that that do things like that and expose their knowledge and experience to you guys so uh, that you can uh, dream about doing things like that as well. To start off this segment is Adam in Louisville, Kentucky. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the Entree Leadership Podcast. Hey, Dave. How are you? Better than I deserve, sir. How can I help? So uh, I am uh, working uh, on taking over uh, my in-law's property management company, uh, working side-by-side side with them for about another two to three years, and then eventually it'll be uh, me and my wife running the company full-time. And in this transition period, I'm just trying to find out the best way for me to uh, be respectful, but at the same time, make sure that, you know, my opinion is heard and that, um, you know, some the, the business decisions are, um, you know, flows through everybody um, and, and just, uh, but at the same time, not come off like a, like a prick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, that's a good concern, and it's a good way of thinking about it. Um, so they started the business? Uh, originally, yeah, they had two partners, um, and then now ago? it's down to just uh, 22 years. Okay. And how old are you? Yep. I am 31. Okay. All right. So when they started this, you were running around in short pants. That's right. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Right. Yeah. Just pay honor. Pay lots of honor. Um, and not honor to the point that you're enabling or not honor to the point that you're violating ethics uh, because you're going along with something you truly don't believe. But most of the things that you are, uh, it's really easy because you're getting excited about becoming the owner, about being in charge someday soon. Um, And because of all of those things, then, then, you know, you're going to... uh, uh, you know, you're, if you're not careful, I, what I do when I'm in those situations is I, I do become a jerk because I'm concentrating on, I'm making little things into big things. So most of the little things you can correct later, like almost all of them after they're gone. So just forget it and just pay honor, pay honor. Anytime you're addressing them in front of the other team members, anytime you're addressing them, uh, even in private, just like you said, just unbelievable respect 
for the price that they have paid, the things that they have learned to get to where they are. And then you can say, and I don't understand because if it was me, I would want to do it this way. Help me understand why I'm wrong. That kind of an approach, Adam. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, the things that, and I'm definitely trying to do that. Um, at the same time, I feel like I've come in really a hundred percent eager to lead and, and, you know, run the business and, uh, make sure that we're doing things the right way and, and, you know, treating our, our customers right. And they, they maybe do they don't, they don't have you right. Right. They, they don't, they don't want to cut to preach the customer wrong. Right. All we're arguing about is how we do it. We both yeah. want to treat the customer right. It's just how we treat them right. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, and if you will pay honor and push aside the little things and then ask questions about how, uh, help me understand this because I would do it another way and I'm not, I must be missing something rather than, yeah. if I'm going to take this over, I would do it this way. <laughs> see, that, that, you see the difference? It, it accomplishes the exact same discussion. So one of the things that my friend Pat Lincioni talks about in his book, The Advantage, he says companies that can do conflict well have an unbelievable advantage over all other companies, regardless of talent, regardless of patents, regardless of trademarks, regardless of genius. Uh, none of those things trump the ability to do conflict well. And so what you're doing here is you're learning how to do conflict well. So we can add one other element to the discussion that'll help, and you might even talk to them about this and go, tell them you talk to me about it. One of the things we learned to do around here, we learned this from Henry Cloud, is uh, to, to wear what we call hat or what he calls hats. And so when you're at work, you're not his son-in-law. He's your boss. Right. And so when I'm at work, I wear the CEO hat. Rachel Cruz is a Ramsey personality. And Daniel Ramsey is the president, and I'm the CEO of Ramsey Solutions, and so on. Okay? And so in a meeting, they can disagree with me as the CEO from a Ramsey personality's position. Okay? And so if yeah. I'm sitting with all the Ramsey personalities, Dr. John Deloney, Ken Coleman, they can disagree with me as the CEO. And we can have a good spirited discussion about which play to call to win the Super Bowl. But they cannot disrespect their CEO. Uh, I mean, I'm not a jerk about it, but they're, they're not going to be belligerent with me and, and work here, right? That, that makes sense. Right. And so... But And the problem is when it's family, sometimes you feel like you've got the right because of family that you can uh, be disrespectful and get away with it because you probably could actually get away with it. It's just not profitable. So treat him with, uh, with the dignity of the founder with 22 years of experience who fought through and bought out two partners who's run this thing. And uh, who, who, with great nobility, is trying to set up a succession plan. There's a lot of reasons to pay honor to this man and woman uh, as the as your CEO and as the owner of a company that you want to buy. And uh, right. and now, when you leave work and you're having Thanksgiving dinner, you need to take your hat off and be son-in-law then. And yeah. so what that does is, and if he does that too, it keeps him, it keeps me from using my dad voice 
on grown kids, <laughs> you know, at work. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't yeah. even work at home to use my dad voice on grown kids. But, but you know, if I'm looking at Rachel's husband, Winston, runs all of our real estate. I treat him yeah. like our property manager. The guy owns a property management firm that manages my property. And this is the, these are the discussions we have. And I hold him to the accountability that I would if I had a non-family property manager. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So if you'll do that and just keep those hats on that, you okay, this is your CEO that you're buying it from. There's only so far you can push it until you're the owner. And, and yeah. he still owns it. And as long as he owns it, he owns a trump card. So the only the only power you have until you become the owner is persuasion. Gotcha. And just use that and persuade and persuade and pers- one excellent persuasion methodology is just to ask questions. You know, <laughs> and and uh, I'll tell you, my son Daniel does it to me all the time. We're, we were sitting in a meeting on a digital product, and he's much smarter on digital products than I am because he's native to it with his age group, right? And we're having this argument about this thing. I'm like, this thing sucks. It's horrible. And he's like, yeah, but you know, he goes, okay, tell me what I'm not seeing. Because the way I see it is this, rather than, no, you're an idiot. You're an old boomer, and you don't know what the flip's going on in the digital world, which is probably actually true. But saying that would not be profitable. Does he see what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that that's what we're talking. That's how we started this conversation, and so it's going to be good. You're you're a wise young man to ask the question. Uh, I do want you to have hats in the discussion, and I want you to have a detailed timeline as to when you're going to become the owner, or under what circumstances you're going to become the owner, so that he's not thinking five years and you're not thinking one year. We want to make sure everything's aligned on that date certain. This is what we're doing. This is date certain. This is how we're doing this, or our circumstances certain. When you reach a certain level of this, then I'm going to hand it over, whatever that is. And you just keep watching through those things. But I think you guys need uh, some clear definitions on roles and some clear timelines, and then you just back up and pay honor and ask a lot of questions and use persuasion, and you'll go a long, long, long way. Very, very cool. Good stuff. Very good stuff. Love it. All right, very cool. Coming up in this next break, Vic Keller. You don't want to miss him in this next segment. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill, and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system. And it's a game changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. Clear outlines for every role and responsibility, step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content, an org chart and directory. You can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit Trainual.com slash Entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code Entree15. That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash Entree with code 
E-N-T-R-E-1-5. Welcome back to the Entree Leadership Podcast. Real business people actually do things. This is not theory. If you want a professor in a college who's never made payroll, you need a different podcast. We're people who leave the cave, kill something, and drag it home. And in that light, I got my friend Vic Keller joining us, serial entrepreneur, speaker, and business coach. Vic, how are you? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you, sir? Doing great. He has launched over 10 companies, uh, 18 companies uh, you own currently in various sectors. Launched 10 uh, that were, some of them were acquired by Berkshire Hathaway, part of the transaction. He was working with Mr. Buffett. I want to learn more about that as we go. Uh, And he's on several boards, and uh, I've run into him a couple of different places and had just enjoyed getting to know him. I thought you guys would as well. Thanks again for joining us. So you started your first business, a landscaping business, back in 02, and then that leads you into just launch after launch after launch. How, How does that work? I mean, why can't you just stick with one thing? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think uh, maybe I have entrepreneurial ADD. It's a good question. So I think the landscaping business started because I had a lawnmower and a couple hands, and uh, I was ready to just go do something, didn't have a lot of money to invest, and wanted some free cash flow. So I uh, started that company and had a ton of fun, and then uh, found my way. That was I was a young man there and found my way into McDonald's and Burger King and Dave got my driver's license and ended up uh, delivering pizza for Domino's and and uh, had a ton of fun. But I think I figured out starting a company wasn't too hard. You just had to, uh, I went online and formed an LLC and hired a couple of my best friends to join me and kind of sold them the dream. And uh, and there I went and, and started my first business and really my last business, not a whole lot differently uh, than each other. But uh, I've always been drawn to freedom and being creative and uh, I've not been a good rule follower. And so being an entrepreneur was a place that I always felt safe. I, I did spend a little time at JP Morgan when I got out of college and uh, loved banking, loved everything I learned at JP Morgan, but uh, I knew that I was on the wrong side of the table. I wasn't going to be a good banker. I needed to go be an entrepreneur. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I am enthralled with this Warren Buffett connection, and uh, uh, he's a guy that obviously many of us have admired from afar, not only his his wit and wisdom, but obviously his business acumen. And uh, But some of his one-liners, the annual meetings and the annual reports are just chocked full of fabulous Warren Buffettisms. But what's it like to hang out with him? Well, I, I have to say, I was part of a unique uh, scenario where several of the companies that that I uh, acquired that 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 I started were acquired by uh, Mr. Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, and I did get to spend some time with him. He's uh, he's got hundreds of CEOs and a lot of companies, and you know he's got a pretty pretty full plate. But um, you know, I would say that a lot of the lessons I learned from Mr. Buffett really came from uh, in 1994. I read a book called The Warren Buffett Way. And uh, there were a lot of things that I learned in that book, and you know, you kind of you kind of are able to trust those things. But when you uh, when you get Mr. Buffett as a business partner, now you get to verify them. And um, I, I learned a lot from him. The thing that was most fascinating, Dave, is that his vision is really driven by his knowledge. Um, whether you're in the inside or the outside, one of the things that that you learn about Mr. Buffett is he loves to read, he loves to study, and um, you know a lot of people are driven by passion and kind of blind passion. And passion is amazing energy, but it's uh, really not uh, what it takes to be successful in business. It's knowledge. So you know I always 
just think back to what is the most fascinating trait that, that I've learned about him and from him and seen him do. And he's, uh, he's a guy that is all about being educated and learning and transitioning that into really what is vision and passion. So that was a big part of it. Um, early in my career, I think I started a few companies pretty blindly with a bunch of uh, adrenaline and passion. I wish I knew a little bit more, but definitely uh, learned a lot about you know what the value is of, of studying and reading. So Warren spends like, from what I understand, uh, seven, eight hours a day reading. And uh, we, don't, we all don't have the luxury to do that, but it's very clear that he makes good decisions because he's a knowledgeable guy. Um, but he, you know, he, my, but he's not limited, reading just anything. I mean, a lot of times he's actually learning about the company that he's running or is about to acquire, how they do what they do, understanding it. He doesn't go in blindly just looking at the at the accounting sheets uh, or just no, looking at the no, financials. He, he actually wants to understand the business and the essence of it. Is that right? A hundred percent. And he, do, it, you know, he doesn't stop. So, I mean, he's reading about the business and learning about the essence of the business, as you said, in the industry and what's really the, the tailwinds and the trade winds of the industry and what's going on. And then once he's in the business, um, it, it was pretty fascinating to see how quickly he becomes very educated about an industry or a space, but he's a consummate, consummate student, um, you know, definitely a curious intellect, but, but that was the most fascinating. And then, you know, uh, Mr. Buffett, you know, as, he says publicly uh, every time he talks is uh, the management team is ultimately what he's buying in these business. He's buying uh, good people that know how to run businesses and, you know, he seems to trust in them the most, but he's definitely uh, up to speed on the details of what's going on. It's quite fascinating. So all these different companies that you have started and run, what was the average size number of team members? Yeah, typical one I would say was, you know, several hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, and, and definitely companies that had all the way from 10 employees up to hundreds of employees at the, uh, at the end of, at the end of my formal career in the automotive industry where I spent a lot of time. Uh, I had several thousand people under my leadership and several billion dollars under my leadership as well. So, um, some of them were small, some of them were large. I'll tell you, uh, the most fun that I've ever had in business has been really the smaller businesses. The, uh, the ones where it started out with two and grew to five and 10 and 15 and 20 people and and really able to recognize how much revenue the company generated uh, in comparison to how many employees we had. That was a number that we always celebrated of, you know, keeping the team lean and small, but trying to grow the top line number. Absolutely. And keeping that ratio there. Yeah. So when you're yes. looking for and finding in a, a small business, that's all of our viewers, just about our listeners on this. Uh, what are you looking for when you're hiring these team members and retaining them? How, how are you going about the, the collecting of the thoroughbreds? Well, you bring up a good point, right? I mean, so it's it's a lot better to have uh, thoroughbreds than 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 mules or donkeys, and so um, we focus on that. I think the biggest um, the biggest transformation when it comes to people that that I've had in my career really happened probably 15 years ago, um, and I moved from a concept from the concept of a job description to more of a journey description. And, and I really, you know, think, thought about bringing talent on the teams the same way that, that I thought about probably courting my wife when I was a young man. And that is really thinking about what is the journey that you want these people to go on with you? What is the journey that they want to have? So, um, instead of it being what's the task, what's the job, 
what's the immediate uh, accomplishment that needs to happen in the business? Really, what's the journey for their life? What do they want to accomplish? What do they want to do? And by the way, sometimes there's not good alignment with the business task and the business objective, and it's just not a good fit, and we move on. Um, but I, I think most of the success around getting high-capacity, high-quality talent has been understanding how you could retain those people for a long time by understanding what their own goals and journeys are. And by the way, when people don't know what the heck they want to do and they don't have goals and they don't really have a plan and a strategy, a lot of times those aren't people that are a good fit for our team. And we have to wait for people that really know what they want to do um, because it's it's important for us to have that characteristic in the business. So when you're you know, you talk about a strong co- company culture is achieved through balance of aligning good people, clear vision and strategy. One of the things I've noticed, and, and I'm trying to teach this, these guys this in the entree leadership world, as they move up through the stages of business from, you know, a treadmill operator where you're by yourself on the treadmill, then you start to add team and then you start to lay out strategy and try to align people with it, it is it becomes like the leader's almost full-time job to say, this is who we are. This is where the culture, this is where we are going, the strategy or vision. And if you want to be a, we, this is how you align and then give them the option of opting out. If they're not smart enough to figure out that they need to opt out, we have to help them opt out. Uh, but, uh, or, or they're just too, I don't know, stuck or something. We, you know, you're not aligned with where we're going and who we are. And, you, you know, I, I love that you put that in that, use, use that phraseology on this. But I think sometimes, um, and you've experienced a lot because you've done a bunch of different deals, but, but to, to, get these, to get these, you know, get the, the ducks lined up, so to speak, all of us are ducks in that sense, but to get us lined up, uh, uh, there's some heartache involved because people that you love, some of them don't want to get on the train. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, you know, one of my very best friends in the world was one of my first employees and, uh, it was really painful, but I figured out he just was not a cultural fit, didn't have the right alignment for where we needed to go. And I had to walk in his office one day and high five him and, and, uh, and he moved on. But, uh, you know, I think the best way to align culture um, with really vision is through professional development and training. Um, and, and I remember early on in my career, I'd bring people in my office and I would sit them down and lecture them and maybe raise my voice and get frustrated. But I figured out that if I was able to gain cultural alignment in the company, it was primarily through training and development. So I'd sit down with these people. It, it, I moved from, it was a policy, it was a memo, it was something we needed to do to let's create a training program around what our objectives are and and then it becomes required. I mean, you're almost certifying people to follow the rules instead of giving them a directive. You're getting them on board. So, perfect. And, and I'll tell you, the bigger the company's got with more people, um, you know, I, I think I was a control freak uh, early in my career, and I just wanted to tell everyone what to do. And as I got older, I figured out that I could sell people on what to do if it truly was professional development and training. And I wanted their input and I wanted their feedback. Hey, sometimes, you know, I was making bad decisions and I needed people to be able to tell me. And it was a lot easier to understand where I needed to make adjustments as a leader if we were doing development and training versus just giving people directives. No one wants a directive. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Vic Keller, serial entrepreneur, speaker, business coach. You can learn more about him at his website at vickeller.com. 
and check him out at Vic Keller on all the socials and uh, pick it up there. So uh, I read in your bio that you uh, build businesses without using debt, uh, which, of course, is one of the reasons you and I connected up in the process, because we bumped into each other at an event and you said, hey, man, I do your stuff and I don't borrow money. And I'm just and that's how we became friends was in that process. So talk about that, because um you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty much considered a freak, as you know, for not using debt. And yet the truth is a lot of people go debt free in their business operations. Yeah. So <laughs> look, I like to dance, Dave. And uh, in debt, you know, I feel like you're having to dance in a straitjacket. You know, you really can't be creative. You can't do all the fun things that you want to do. I'm involved in some businesses definitely that have debt. And, uh, and I, and I'm, you know, a participant in those businesses, but businesses that I own outright, um, that, that are ones that, you know, I'm really focused on don't have debt and it allows you to be more creative. Um, there are so many days that I'm, you know, frustrated with limitations around growth and opportunity, um, that, that would potentially advance if there was debt. But the reality is it would restrict us and we wouldn't be able to be as creative and we wouldn't be able to ultimately have as much fun. So uh, I think patience uh, is a big part of the process. But for me, when I started my first business, I, you know, I, I didn't have any credit. I didn't have any money. Um, I really didn't have anywhere to go. Buy. I didn't have any wealthy family members. Um, I was just trying to get by and ultimately provide for my family. And so I figured out the best way to generate capital was to go out and sell. And fortunately, I love to sell. And so anytime I needed funding, that just told me I had to sell more. And, and maybe one other piece of that, I've always enjoyed businesses that are high margin. Um, you know, and I know that- and that debt you, destroys the margin. Yeah. Yeah. Debt destroys the margin. And, and I love to protect the margin because I like the free cash flow because I like to be able to reinvest in the business. And you can't reinvest in the business with just effort. You need capital to reinvest in the business so you can scale and grow. So um, it's been a fundamental practice for me. I think I started out, Dave, out of necessity. I mean, I just didn't have any anywhere to go borrow money. And so you learn how to build businesses without borrowing money. And it's a pretty fun thing. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you sell a company, and you don't have any debt or you don't have much debt, it makes for a lot bigger payday. And that's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's true. It changes the whole liquidity moment, doesn't it? For sure. It does. Hey, it Vic, does. thanks for hanging out with us, man. Vic Keller, serial entrepreneur. And you can find him at VicKeller.com. Appreciate your friendship, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Here's a math refresher. There are only 24 hours in a day, so you and your team need to streamline time-consuming tasks to focus on the activities that make money. Smart businesses are realizing that to reduce headaches as they scale, they need NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform. With NetSuite, you can reduce IT costs because it's cloud-based. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one source of truth. It's a big deal. And you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, saving time and cutting manual tasks and errors. So join the more than 37,000 smart companies like Ramsey Solutions that have done the math and are boosting their efficiency with NetSuite. 
And right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to drive the right behaviors for your business absolutely free at NetSuite.com slash Ramsey. That's NetSuite.com slash Ramsey to get your own KPI checklist. Welcome back to the Entree Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Ramsey. If you want to be on the show, leave us a voicemail at 844-944-1070 or go to entreeleadership.com slash ask and you can fill out the form and we'll make you a caller here on the show. Hey, if you're a business owner who's feeling trapped by your business, feels like you're always running on a treadmill and if you stop, the business stops, well, that probably means you're at the first of the five stages of business. The Entree Leadership System helps you identify the stages of business you're in. That first stage is the treadmill operator and will help you level up and move on up the process to Pathfinder, then to Trailblazer, to Peak Performer, and to Legacy Builder. With a digital membership to Elite, you'll get a customized action plan to help you solve the key challenges at your stage of business, including the treadmill operator including how to get your control of your time, how to delegate, how to, hire, how to hire great people. It includes video courses, all kinds of tools, and live webinars. The tools are amazing. You do not want to miss out on these things. Sign up for a free 30-day trial to Entree Leadership Elite. Uh, did I mention it's free? No hassle. we got a feeling that once you try it, you're going to want to stay. Go to entreeleadership.com slash elite. It's a free trial for 30 days. Deb's in Milwaukee. Hi, Deb. Welcome to the Entree Leadership Podcast. Oh, hi, Dave. It's so great to talk to you. So, hey, I have um, eight employees. I am the owner of a beautiful little coffee shop. We bring in, we're we're just a few years old. Um, We opened two years before COVID, survived COVID, and we're pretty much bounced back. So we're at about 300,000. Um, annual revenue that was from 2022. And this is actually maybe more less of a business question and more of a just a plain old debt question, which I know you're great at. Um, We have three debts that are technically, I guess, business debts, but they're not because it's all personal. So Mm -hmm. I understand that. But because they are, if we do the baby steps, and pay the smallest to largest. The largest is the mortgage on our building. And we live in this mixed-use commercial building. We live above our coffee shop. And so there's a balloon payment on this commercial mortgage in four years. So what we would like to do is to just put all of our efforts into paying down that $230,000 mortgage because of the balloon payment. And then you know, hit the other ones after that, well, they'll actually be kind of disappearing simultaneously. What are the other two? um, There is a $30,000 business loan and an $80,000 business loan. Okay. And what are they, are they secured by anything? They're, they are unsecured. And yet really everything is going to be secured by the building because what we owe has to pay, what we own has to pay for what we owe. So well, ultimately, your assets could be taken if you're sued, but I'm asking if they have a lien on something. They do not. Okay, those are unsecured loans. Okay. Yes. And they're just they're just signature loans that you used for the business. Now, what are you yes. netting on this business? Um, 
Well, last year we ended up with 76,000. Again, still, I think that was kind of the end of our recovery stage after bouncing back from COVID. I'm expecting um, things this year. I think we're going to hit 400,000 as our top line. Mm -hmm. You know, and if I can keep my expenses at the good margins that I have now, I think we'll probably be at maybe 120, 130. Yeah, you're you're not going to knock out 230 in three years, though. Not an eat. Well, it's well, it's four years, and then the other thing is that my, you know, my husband also has an income too, so our whole income is, you know, higher than that. Oh, what is your what is your household income? Our household income is one forty five with the seventy six. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, so. and actually, with less than that, because we took some of the seventy six and reinvested into our into our building, but. Okay. All right. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, uh, What's the building worth? It's worth seven fifty. Okay, I would go get a new fully amortizing mortgage, and wrap them all three together. Okay. This balloon is scaring the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. That four years is going to go by in an eye blink, and they're going to come at you with machetes. I don't like this at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I would just wrap it all into one. So two sixty. Uh, four or, or three forty. Uh, it's a 50% loan to value. You should be able to get a 10 or a 15 year fully amortizing mortgage and then still try to get it paid off as soon as possible. But let's put it on 180 months or 120 months fully amortizing with your local mm-hmm. commercial bank. Is this with a local bank? It is. It's with a great, our great local small town bank, which is really. Yeah. Um, really been helpful. So good. They, they, now, no, no, they've not been helpful yet because they, they got you standing okay. on a trap door. This is not okay. helpful at all yet. Uh, but if they'll be helpful if they'll put this on 120 months and just fully amortize it, it's going to make your payments go up, but your payments are going to go up anyway because you're getting ready to he- heavily hammer this thing to get rid of it. So, yeah, right. I, I want a I $350,000 mortgage on this thing and no other loans. That helps them, by the way. Are these other two loans with them too? No, they're not. Oh, okay. Well, so that it, would it, be bringing it'd be bringing it into their bank. Yeah, it would so. bring it would bring some, it, and they would be fully secured by the property instead of unsecured loans. It gets these unsecured loans off the books for you, and you you know it, it, this bank's smart. It, it sounds like you got a good solid operation. They'll make this loan uh, because you've got the equity position in the building. And then basically mm-hmm. what we're saying is, okay, now we have a commercial mortgage on a commercial building of 120 months or 180 months, and we're going to try to pay it off instead of 10 years. We're going to try to pay it off in six or seven or, or whatever, or, or three. I don't care. Right. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping five. Yeah, that, that'd be great. But I just don't like this thing. Uh, you're, I feel like your head's laying across the uh, – stuck in the guillotine, and, and these nice people have the rope. That scares the crap out of me when they're bankers. You know, oh, mm-hmm. God, they could be nice people or they could sell that thing to Bank of America tomorrow and you're screwed. You know, no, I just that. Uh, yeah, I, I want to get rid of that balloon. And while I'm at it, let's roll these other two in. That stabilizes and brings peace to the situation because you've got a very predictable environment. And then accelerating the payoff is your choice based on wisdom, and you're going to want to do that. You're going to want to pay it off as fast as you can. So I still put it on a five-year schedule at that point. But, yeah, th- that's exactly how I'd handle this. Uh, balloons, uh, man, 
They start they they cause you to make wrong decisions because they're coming at you like a train. And you just gotta go, I gotta get out of the way, I gotta get out of the way, I gotta get out of the way. I know it's four years, but I gotta get out of the way. It's your body is just as Dr. John Deloney would say, your body is reacting to this. My body's reacting to it. It's not even my balloon. Wow. Hey, thank you for calling in, Deb. Sounds like you got a great operation. I'm proud of you. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. We just got back from Summit 2024 in Dallas, and it was absolutely incredible, y'all. If you missed it, you don't want to miss the next one. Me and a few thousand small business leaders are going to Denver next May to hear from John Maxwell, Pat Lincioni, Dr. John Deloney, and many, many more. Plus, for the first time ever, we're doing reserved seating. The sooner you lock in your tickets, the better your seats will be. But hundreds of tickets are already gone. So don't wait. Go to entreleadership.com slash summit to reserve your seats today. Thanks for joining us on the Entree Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Ramsey. We're so glad you're with us. Again, if you want to be part of the program, uh, dial a number, leave a voicemail. We'll get back with you, make you a caller on here, 844-944-1070 or entreeleadership.com slash ask and fill out the form. Uh, A couple of folks are saying some nice things on the internets out there. We appreciate you. Can't recommend this show enough. Says on Apple, Dave Ramsey's outstanding expert and practitioner. Love it. Preach, Dave. Dave does a wonderful job of giving advice and walking business owners through the answers he gives. Sometimes it's not what they want to hear, but it's what they need. I personally gain something from every episode. Thanks for not sugarcoating it, Dave. Oh, I'm, there's lots of sugar because I love you. I love you so much, I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah, that's how that works. I uh, love hearing the real-life advice from Dave's experience uh, from Spotify. Thank you. Great advice. Love this podcast from Spotify. Thank you. Learning a lot from your videos on YouTube. Thanks for making this kind of channel. Great advice. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you. Hey, leave a nice review like that with five stars. It helps us because it pushes the show out in the algorithms and causes people to see it that might not see it otherwise. And, of course, you can also uh, hit the share button and hit the follow or subscribe button. All of those things. More followers, more subscriptions, more shares, more likes, more five-star reviews, all of those things push the show forward. And basically, you guys are our marketing budget. So if you don't do this, the show will go away because it will be confirmation that it sucks. So there you go. We don't think it sucks. We think it's going to be okay, and we're glad you're here. Again, 844-944-1070. Thanks for hanging out. Nate is in Vermont. Hi, Nate. Welcome to the Entree Leadership Podcast. Hi. How are you doing today? Better than I deserve. What's up? So I'm a small dairy farmer. Uh, We gross a little bit over $300,000, and it's myself and two part-time employees. Uh, My question is, uh, is is it better for us to keep specializing and growing uh, in our current field of dairy farming or try and diversify and branch out as a way to further build profit? Okay, so the question is whether to diversify or whether to go. Explain to me an example of what you're talking about. Let me make sure I get my head around this. Well, the idea is there's several different opportunities uh, that are in front of us right now to um, do custom, uh, some extra custom cropping and get into that pretty substantially. And, um, 
there's also some opportunities for us to get into agri- some agritourism and we're trying to grow the grow the the overall farm business and uh you know trying to grow the the dairy um is something that we can do and we're kind of looking at but we're kind of caught between well is is growing the herd and growing the whole dairy farm uh the best way to use our what what little capital that i have mm-hmm. um or is it a better use of my own time and money to try and you know diversify the operation i guess yeah and and go into that in a little bit of that direction okay I, i've got a friend that's a neighbor of mine uh that has uh several hundred acres and uh, he runs a boutique dairy situation and uh, makes some of the best farm to table quality stuff, very high end. Uh, they charge for it um, proudly and they should, it's very good. So high end, uh, I mean, like their chocolate milk will just light your life up. It's amazing, right? That kind of stuff. It sounds like that's a type of thing you're doing. And then the question is, do you just want to have more cows and more volume, or do you want to create a tourist stop to let uh, human beings see where milk comes from and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I think that's a good way of summing it up. Okay, I'm just making sure I got my head around the concept because he's doing a little of both. I uh, actually got a documentary done on him and stuff like that. He's he's a brilliant business guy, and um, so I've gotten to watch him from a distance. Uh, never, uh, uh, you know, they they again just real high quality products, a little storefront, and uh, all the little. Uh, suburban yuppies or whatever we call them go by and think they're cool because they get like real milk instead of grocery store milk and you know what i'm talking about and uh at double the price or whatever and i don't know what it is but it's it's more expensive but it's really good stuff so uh but the storefront has become a thing um and now they've got a bed and breakfast next door and so they're kind of getting in the tour the tourist idea of people coming around seeing a farm staying on the farm in a log cabin and that kind of stuff is that that's the type of way you're talking about going or just make the herd bigger which one do you want to do well we like the idea of of you know offering this expanded service to the community and diversifying and you know i love my cows and i love what i do um and they're hard work doing more of it is you know, economy in agriculture, economies of scale is a very real thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, don't you kind of reach a tipping point though, that you've got to go like, uh, uh you know, 200 is not double what a hundred is. You got to go all the way to a thousand to really get head of cattle to really get in a dairy to really get some movement. Don't you? Oh yeah. There's definitely, there, there's definitely inflection points. Yeah. Where that's what I was thinking. Once you, once you cross the line, like robotics and all of that, thing. right? Exactly. And there's one problem where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only 33, but I've been around enough to, to see other operations, not just in dairy, but, um, you know, other, other farming enterprises where they try and do a whole suite of a whole bunch of different things and they end up falling flat on their face. Um, yeah, you don't you don't need to get in the jelly and the honey business. You're in the milk business, yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, unless you're distributing someone else's. I mean, but yeah, it's a whole different manufacturing operation, the whole thing. I've seen, I've watched that happen too. I know what you're talking about. Well, the, the whole farm to table movement and certainly Vermont, you guys have a, a vibe for all of this and the whole uh, boutique farming operation at a, that I've been describing and that you're doing as well makes sense. Uh, I don't know much about it other than I think I've just told you everything in the last 10 minutes I know about it. So I'm pretty ignorant about it. But the, uh, the, the, other, the other thing I am sure of, uh, uh, you know, just observing is that those cows don't take a vacation. Uh, and it's, farming is hard work and dairy farming is particularly hard work every morning, every night. Doesn't care if it's Christmas. Doesn't care if your wife wants to go to the Bahamas. Doesn't matter. Those cows got to be milked. And it's a thing. And uh, more of that sounds like more hard work. And I kind of hear in your voice, you would rather uh, uh, diversify the exposures, like with the uh, uh, agrituro or whatever you call it, tourist agritourist or whatever you call that stuff. But, But just, you know, giving people access to this and seeing it and paying and doing the bed and breakfast or doing the uh, whatever and let them participate in the milking. I don't know, whatever it is but that you do there, but uh, your version of a dude ranch or, or whatever. But that all of that stuff, it sounds like you just listening to your voice when you're talking about it, it sounds like I don't want 200 head versus 100 head. That sounds like a lot double the work or triple the work. Uh, I think I'd rather go the other way. I think I hear diversification in your voice. Am I missing something? I, I think you are hearing that, yeah. I guess the biggest concern that we have is how do you add enterprises to your existing operation without having your head explode? Um, well, you've got to you've got to you've got to bring on talent in those areas. For instance, if you did some of the stuff we're talking about, you're bringing on not farmhands, but people from the hospitality world that have run. That have run, uh, you know, if you're going to build, put in a little thing and serve, uh, you know, biscuits in the morning with your milk products or whatever. I don't know what it is, but I mean, a, a little uh, country store type of a restaurant type thing. Then you need restaurant people and hospitality people, not farmhands, because your head will explode trying to do all these different things. But you can bring on people that can do the lifting and bring uh, knowledge base to you on stuff you don't know how to do and still be the owner and still lead them successfully in these different product lines as you diversify out whatever with different cash flow sources as you diversify diversify out and in a sense that's what we've done at Ramsey i mean this started as selling books and financial peace university and uh, later on, the radio show got profitable or got, got big enough that we could actually sell ads because somebody cared. And so then we had three streams of revenue. And then we started doing more events. We had four streams of revenue. And then we did a high school curriculum. And then we did entree leadership. And so, you know, right now we've diversified into about 14 different streams of revenue. But they all come back to the core of providing biblically-based common sense and education, which provides hope. Then we all come back to that core mission statement. And that, as long as you've got a core that you're attached to, you can bring the talent in, lead into them, through them, and you'll have some false starts. Uh, you're starting little bit miniature businesses, and some of them will suck. And they all look good at, the, at first, but later on they get ugly in some cases, and you got to, you know, oh, that didn't work. And uh, I, I, 
you know, I've got more stories, by the way, that didn't work than did work. But all you guys know me for the ones that did work because we survived the ones that didn't work because we didn't do them with debt. We didn't overhire. We were slow, plodding, not racehorse. We're not, we're not going to be on the cover of Fast Company magazine. We're going to be on the cover of Slow Company magazine. And just, just plod your way through that. But that's your nature anyway. You're in agriculture. So you're not ever looking for the quick win. There's no such thing as a quick win in agriculture. It's always a grind. Uh, but it's always much more predictable and steady. So, man, you're a hardworking dude, Nate. I like it. You got great imagination, and I think you got your head in the right space on this. I, I would go forward if I were you. I think this absolutely works. Good stuff. Hey, that puts this episode of Entree Leadership in the books. Remember, better a weary warrior than a quivering critic. Leaders serve. Leaders are active, not passive. Leaders act on principle, not appearances. This world needs more high-quality leaders. So choose to lead. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host. Thanks for listening to the Entree Leadership Podcast. Podcast.